Are you curious about what it's like working in healthcare today? Do you believe in the power of storytelling? I'm Dr. Emily Silverman, the host of the Nocturnist podcast, where healthcare workers share personal stories of joy, sorrow, and self-discovery. Each episode, whether a compelling performance from one of our live shows, an intimate series of audio diaries from one of our documentaries, or an engaging conversation with guests such as book authors or filmmakers, aims to connect, provoke, and inspire. Learn more at thenocturnist.com or subscribe to The Nocturnist wherever you get your podcasts. On February 13th, 2017, Dave Zoss was a doctor and president of Duke Rowley Hospital. By Valentine's Day, he was a patient with a dire diagnosis, acute myeloid leukemia. I was away from home for six months. 318 miles north at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, away from his wife and two teenage sons, Dave felt something that he'd never felt before. I realized how lonely and cold the hospital can be, especially at night. During the day, I was busy. I was interacting and talking to my wife. At night, you're alone. At night, your mind races and thinks about all those things that you don't want to think about. Are my kids going to grow up without a father? Am I going to die from a complication? How is my wife going to be as a single mother? And you try to push those thoughts away, but at night when you can't sleep and you don't feel well and you're alone, those thoughts keep coming back. And Dave realized something else. As much as he enjoyed working in the hospital, it was the last place he wanted to be as a patient. You want to be home. You want to be in your own bed. You want to be with your family. That was the moment that I first started to question. What can we do outside of the walls of the hospital? Six months later, Dave Zoss returned to work, thanks to a bone marrow transplant from his 13-year-old son. And he came back wanting to help other patients avoid that lonely and cold feeling. And that's what pushed us to really start exploring the evidence behind a hospital at home. Today, has the moment to bring the hospital to the patient's home finally arrived? From the Annenberg Studio at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. Providing hospital-level care in people's homes seems like an innovation tailor-made for this moment. I think it was Milton Friedman who said when a crisis hits, people look for ideas that have just been laying around. (laughs) And this has been laying around for a while. Physician and researcher Bruce Leff began studying the feasibility of hospitalizing patients with simple conditions like pneumonia and heart failure at home back in the 90s. 
Bruce says it's obvious the coronavirus has put hospitals in a bind. So emergency room visits are down in many hospitals because people are afraid to go to the hospital. Kathy the number Curry. of visits to the ER has dropped by about one third. They are seeing 50 percent less adult patients in the ER than usual. People are not going to the emergency room when they actually should be, and it's turning into a deadly problem. Most have sat empty while others have been overrun. Bracing for a surge, large hospitals have combined to lose a billion dollars a day and cut thousands of jobs. In other words, COVID has blown up the business model for most hospitals. I think what's become apparent to a bunch of folks is the need to create surge capacity in a way that doesn't totally bankrupt you. Bruce thinks hospital home programs can act as a kind of pressure valve. The typical model combines in-home visits and treatments with telehealth. It can be used to replace an inpatient stay altogether or to end one early, completing recovery at home, including for COVID patients. So hospitals can be ready for a winter wave and keep seeing patients, bringing in cash. I think folks are seeing that there's a need to create capacity in a way that aligns with business models, and I think Hospital at Home can do that. You can ramp up, and you can pull it back. The other benefit to Hospital at Home? Evidence. 20 years of it. And Bruce says it's rigorous, and it's strong. So in meta-analyses where you take a bunch of small randomized control trials and you group them together, mortality at six months is about 20% lower for hospital at home compared to typical hospital care. I think if you were to ask most patients when they're in the emergency department and given the choice and you say to them, hey, you know, if, uh, if you go home, you have a 20% lower risk of being dead in six months, that's, that's pretty compelling. In the most recent randomized controlled trial, the first one done in the U.S., home stays also proved 40% cheaper. Patients had fewer lab and imaging tests done, and they were three times less likely to end up back in the hospital within 30 days. Until now, executives have been slow to design hospital home programs. Look at Duke Raleigh. It took the president there having a near-death experience to warm to the idea. As of today, just a few dozen hospitals offer the service, less than 1% of America's 6,000 hospitals. But the coronavirus may be changing the game. There's been a tremendous amount of interest in the program. We've had about nine major conversations taking place. One is taking place today at 4 o'clock. Travis Messina, the founder and chief executive officer of Contessa, and Raphael Rakowski, one of the co-founders and CEO of Medically Home head the companies that are the frontrunners in a small but burgeoning sector selling hospital-at-home support services. Moving care safely out of a billion-dollar high-tech hospital and into a bunch of people's homes is no small feat. And while hospitals can do it, not everyone wants to do it. If I'm totally candid, does every health system in America have the ability to run a home recovery care program on their own? Absolutely. I think the question that they need to ask themselves is that the highest and best use of their, of their time and their capital. Both companies provide a similar suite of services, handling the supply chain, training, tech, and other logistics, leaving hospital staff to focus on delivering the care. Contessa recently helped Mount Sinai in New York double their program size in response to COVID, and Medically Home just announced new contracts with Tufts and Adventist Health, both catalyzed by COVID. 
for Raphael, it's been especially mind-boggling to see business booming now. So imagine if you had more outcome and more, more impact in 12 weeks than you had in 12 years. And I have mixed feelings. On one end, I feel great that you know our time has come. On the other hand, I feel if it came because of all of this pain and suffering, that makes me very sad. Um, but that's the mix of feelings I have all day long now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Are you curious about what it's like working in healthcare today? Do you believe in the power of storytelling? I'm Dr. Emily Silverman, the host of the Nocturnist podcast, where healthcare workers share personal stories of joy, sorrow, and self-discovery. Each episode, whether a compelling performance from one of our live shows, an intimate series of audio diaries from one of our documentaries, or an engaging conversation with guests such as book authors or filmmakers, aims to connect, provoke, and inspire. Learn more at thenocturnist.com or subscribe to The Nocturnist wherever you get your podcasts. So will all this new interest in hospitalizing patients at home amount to a flash in the pan or a fundamental shift? The answer likely hinges on two big unknowns, payment and hospitals' interest post-COVID. Some insurers have started to pay for hospital care at home in recent years, but the white whale has always been Medicare which covers most of the older adults likely to be hospitalized at home. Back in 2017, federal health officials did ask a committee known as PTAC to study whether and how Medicare should pay for the program. The first proposal this morning we will discuss is entitled Hospital at Home Plus, Provider-Focused Payment Model. Brookings Fellow and physician Kavita Patel sits on that federal committee, which reviews several new payment models every year. This was one of the few where, in our voting, we were, like, effusively unanimous about it. And in fact, I think my words back then, and it's on the record, I think my words were, like, run and do not walk to kind of get this model done. And and I knew that wasn't going to happen, but I wanted to make a point that this rose to a level way, 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 way higher than many of the things we've seen and could be a game changer. And I still believe that to this day. Kavita was skeptical Medicare would sign off because the feds worry more about fraud and cutting corners when care happens outside the hospital. Medicare or any payer has always been reluctant to pay for something that is done outside of what I would call conventional facilities or conventional visits honestly, mostly for fear of abuse. It's the reason telehealth visits were barely existent before COVID. But as they say now, then came COVID. And the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, began issuing emergency waivers giving hospitals flexibility to increase their capacity. 
Their latest guidance, issued in May, seemed to describe the hospital-at-home model, complete with a clip-art home at the center. Kavita says it's generated some confusion. I've talked with people at CMS who have said the regulations they've issued fit hospital at home. You can do hospital at home, basically, is what some people will tell you. Lawyers have said, no, that's not the truth, and CMS needs to be more clear. A CMS spokesperson confirmed the rules do allow hospitals to get paid for care in the home under certain conditions. But Kavita believes health systems still need more clarity before putting the pedal to the metal on this idea. That leaves the question of post-COVID interest from hospitals. Until this spring, executives have been cool to bringing care into the home. If business as usual picks back up, will their interest fade away? Kavita thinks hospitals will be shaken enough by COVID that they'll stay motivated to make this model work as long as they can get paid. The hospital has been forced to think differently If you think that it can help with your both revenue as well as productivity, you'll figure out a way to do it. And that's exactly what I think could happen. Of course, it's much easier to talk about change than to implement it, says Bruce Leff, especially for hospitals if they can keep raking in profits while doing things the old way. So I think a lot of health systems understand that they need to change what they do. Some of them actually may mean it. Most really don't, probably. But there's still a difference even if you do understand you need to change, actually knowing what to do and how to change. And it's hard. It's not easy. I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs. In the early days of the pandemic, California was struggling with its coronavirus tests. We were averaging just 2,000 tests a day. By April, they'd stepped that effort up significantly. Uh, We have now surpassed one million tests conducted in the state of California. Now the state is up to 50,000. We talked to the leaders of California's testing task force to find out how they ramped up testing so quickly and how other states can do the same. Next time on Tradeoffs. If you enjoyed today's episode of Tradeoffs, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. You can keep in touch with us between episodes by following us on Twitter at TradeoffsPod or sign up for our newsletter at tradeoffs.org. The Tradeoffs team is producers Ryan Levy and Vicki Stern, interns Sabrina Ems, researchers Emily Patterson and Jamie Song, sound designer Andrew Perella, and editor Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from Kevin McLeod, Lobo Loco, and Blue Dot Sessions. Additional thanks to David Levine, Linda DeSherry, Nancy Gwynn, Dispatch Health, Amy Berman, Nate Handley, Bob Kocher, Vidya Arumagum, and the Tradeoffs Advisory Board. Thanks also to all our listeners to help support our work, including Cece Sullivan Rohrbach and Michael Richards. And to our governing board for matching donations made to the show back on Giving Tuesday. Tradeoffs is supported in part by the California Healthcare Foundation, Arnold Ventures, and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Additional support from the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics and the Center for Public Health Initiatives at the University of Pennsylvania. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of Tradeoffs staff, advisors, or funders.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 